0: Turning our focus, though, and taking a look at an announcement that was made earlier today, the federal government will be adding another $2 billion to the B.C. government plan. This is the plan that is really aimed at building more middle-income rental housing. Now, speaking in Vancouver alongside the Prime Minister earlier today, B.C. Premier David Evey said that the funding will support the B.C. Builds plan, which aims to fast-track affordable rental developments on government, community, non-profit-owned and underused lands. What the Prime Minister has announced today, $2 billion in additional funding for the BC Builds program will be transformational for thousands of families in British Columbia that are desperate for housing. They can afford housing. They just need it to be available. The provincial government also has passed legislation last fall to restrict short-term rentals and build more housing that is focused around public transit areas. Well, joining me now to talk a bit more about this is Tom Armstrong, the CEO of the Cooperative Housing Federation of BC. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. What are your thoughts on this? The the BC Builds program, which had already been announced, but now the federal government saying that it, too, uh, wants to be involved, adding another $2 billion in financing.
1: Well, I think a, a good starting point for this discussion is the recent announcement from CMHC that the rental vacancy rate in Vancouver uh, has stabilized at less than 1%. And that, that is a crisis level vacancy rate for people looking to get into the rental market um, in, in the most unaffordable market in, in the country. So this is a very, very welcome announcement. So many of us, including the province, have been asking the federal government to, to match the, the provincial government's historic investment in housing. Uh, and finally, we see them at the table matching that $2 billion in affordable construction financing, and we couldn't be happier.
0: Does it seem like a bit of a turnaround, given that if we go way back, or given that, going way back, uh, the federal government was involved, specifically involved, in cooperative housing? Uh, We heard from the Prime Minister not that long ago saying, actually, it's not federal government jurisdiction when we're talking about the housing filed. Now they're back on board with the BC Builds plan.
1: Well, you're exactly right. I mean, if, if you wanted to really trace the roots of the crisis we're currently in, you would need to go back to 1991, 92, when the constitutional environment and the fiscal environment around the debt and deficit led the federal government to essentially get out of the social housing business altogether and devolve that responsibility to the provinces without devolving all the necessary funding. Uh, to deliver on that mandate. So this, this crisis has been a long time in the making, but it stems from that early federal withdrawal. So we're very pleased to see the federal government back at the table.
0: It seems like there has been a lot talk, a lot of talk about specifically about co-op housing and, and what a good type of housing or what a good structure it is for, for a lot of people. Today's announcement as well uh, focused on the middle, which I think is it kind of means different things to different people. Uh, what would it take though, do you think, when we're talking about the types of housing and what is specifically needed? what would it take to actually start building co-ops again?
1: Well, this announcement is a very, very good first step. In fact, many of the homes being developed under the BC Builds program, I expect will be housing Uh, co-ops. Co-ops have traditionally been mixed income communities. Uh, They operate on a non-profit basis. So over time, their rents or housing charges tend to fall relative to the market. And this middle income uh, cohort uh, that BC Builds really targets is tailor-made for the housing co-op demographic, so I think you're going to see a bit of a resurgence now in co-op housing development uh, in BC, and I think that's great news for people who've been on waiting lists for years, hoping to get into a co-op.
0: Uh, and again, the. The funding today announced talked about developing uh, affordable rental developments on lands that fall under the categories of government, community, and nonprofit-owned and underused land. Uh, I, I guess kind of a two-part question: Do we have those lands available? Do we have the workers that are needed in construction to build this housing?
1: Well, that's the second part of your question. is is um, Is a very dramatic one and being asked a lot these days. For for lands, we we certainly do. Um, You know, there are just over 100 housing co-ops in the city of Vancouver proper, and half of them are on land leased from the city. So there are municipal, provincial, federal crown lands um, available uh, for uh, development into housing. There are also other sites that are, you might call mixed use sites, um, school board lands, uh, transit lands, uh, public uh, facilities. I don't see any reason why every school board in the province shouldn't now be asking itself couldn't we develop mixed-use facilities that involve affordable housing daycares and schools uh, for for kids so you know there are lots of possibilities here now your question about the labor market is critical and this is where the question of immigration and housing uh, supply have really become intertwined Uh, our labor market is uh, shrinking in fact um, it, we're only seeing the cusp of it right now. The, the number of retirees uh, from the construction uh, trades in the next 10 years is projected to be quite dramatic. So if we're not welcoming people into our, uh, our country, our province, and into our economy and training them up uh, to, to be working in trades and constructions, we won't have the workers that we need um, to build those new homes and the supply chain will become even more constrained than it is now.
0: Uh, but even with that, doesn't that also by by and and uh, obviously we we do need immigration, but doesn't that also then bring in people who also need that exact housing?
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, so that's why you know rather than than restrict immigration, uh, the position we've been taking is let's get busy ramping up supply. Uh, the, the population projections, you know, if you think about a million more people coming into BC in the next 10 years, um, we don't nearly have the housing supply um, metrics in place to meet that demand, and, and we need to get busy. And this, today's announcement is a great first step toward that.
0: Do you think then, or can we look at a timeline and and do you see a timeline when we might actually see some of the housing from BC Builds from this partnership actually come on and and be housing that is built and ready to live in?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting uh, question because the thing about BC Builds is that it tries to tackle more than one of the drivers that make housing so challenging to build and, and, and make it so unaffordable. You know, We have the land issue, that's taken care of. Uh, we have the construction financing issue, that's $4 billion in, in financing available from the provincial and the federal governments. We even have grants from the province, I wish the federal government had matched them, but almost a billion dollars in grants from the province to create more, you know, deeper affordability. But the piece that often gets overlooked, is the length of the municipal approval process. And what we heard today and in the the BC Builds announcement a week ago is that the the funding will target developments that are gonna proceed along a 12 to 18 month timeline. Now that doesn't mean a finished home ready for someone to move into, but getting a a construction project underway uh, in 12 to 18 months would represent a dramatic improvement in the current situation.
0: All right. Well, I know there is a lot of excitement about this and a lot of people will be watching uh, to see what happens next. Tom, we will leave that there for today, but thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Well, it is officially tax season. That means Canadians can start filing their returns. And there are a few changes to talk about this year. Always a few changes, but we want to get into some of those details. And joining me to do that is Marie-Claude Bibot, the Federal Minister of National Revenue of Canada. Minister, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. There are a lot, uh, well, or some changes. And I know every year around this time of year, uh, Canadians uh, are filing their taxes, maybe getting to, ready to file their taxes, whether it's uh, on uh, online or a different way. Uh, let's go through some of the changes that people are, are going to be in some cases seeing this year. And uh, I know if uh, anybody has a first home savings account, the FHSA, that is going to come into play.
2: Yes, absolutely. And uh, as you said, it's always important to file your returns. And uh, we know why, you know, when you you have a job and and we contribute and we're proud to do so, to have a country where we can aspire to uh, always uh, more uh, social equity. And uh, one of my messages is that everyone has to file because the way our system works is that, yes, you contribute when you can, but when you are in need, you can benefit from different type of uh, allocation so the Canada Child Benefit, for example, or the GST return, and now the, the Canadian uh, Dental Care Plan. So it is based on your uh, taxes, on your return, that we can uh, know that you are uh, eligible. So it is something that is uh, important to uh, to remind people that, yes, you contribute, but you uh, when you are in need, you can also benefit, and it's important because every year, Uh, there are millions of dollars of credits and benefits that just, you know, stay in Ottawa because some vulnerable people just don't file their taxes.
0: Is it because people don't file or is it because it can be so complicated that people aren't taking full advantage and and realizing that there are ways to get more of a benefit?
2: Uh, I would say mainly because they don't file. But actually, you know, before the end of April about eighty five percent of Canadians will file their return, and at the end of the year uh, it, it's going to be close to ninety five percent but the five percent that is missing is often the most vulnerable and this is why I you know it's very important to me to uh, to remind them of that and also to talk about the free uh, tax clinic as well because in All our regions uh, across the country. We are volunteers. Actually, we have volunteers. Actually, almost 15,000 people volunteers to do uh, the the, the, to file taxes uh, for the people who who need it. So it's it's important to. And actually, last year in uh, British Columbia, 100,000 people benefited from this free tax clinic.
0: Do you find more Canadians are filing online and and doing it? And, and maybe that's a good thing if people know how to do that and and still making sure that they're qualifying or, or applying for all of the benefits that they, they're eligible for. Or uh, are, are people doing that and in that case also missing out?
2: Well, actually, more than 90% of Canadians file uh, online now. And uh, the computer systems uh, are getting easier each year um to to uh, to file, so this is a good news, but what we don't have enough people uh, signing in is the my account on the Canada Revenue Agency website. So the my account is extremely uh, useful, but I must admit that the first time it's a bit complicated because we really have to make sure that you are the right person you know at the end of the the system. so there's a security. Uh, system obviously put in place so the first time is a bit longer but after that it is such a pleasure to have all your information your T4 and everything else you know available within uh, my account and also I would encourage everyone to uh, sign in to the direct deposit so if you have a return you will get it within 10 days Uh, And if you are uh, eligible to different benefits, well, it will be deposited directly in your account, which is also great.
0: How do you or what? How do you address concerns that people have? In that those are good things, and that you will get if you get a, a return or you're getting money back, you'll get it quickly. Uh, but there are so many uh, scammers out there, and I know that uh, there are there are reminders going out for people to make sure that uh, they're be, that they're aware that there are going to be scammers every time at this time of year who pretend to be CRA agents. Uh, CRA agents, um, people can get a little uh, a, a little nervous about putting all of that personal. Personal information into an account online. So, what advice do you give to people in that scenario? Well, I can
2: assure you that we're making, uh, putting in place a lot of safeguards around the system of my account. Uh, but there's, there are uh, scams out there. You are so right, and it's. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to remind people to, the Canada Revenue Agency will never send you a text message. So. It, it's, it cannot be us. It cannot be the government sending you a text message and asking you to click on whatever. This is not the government working this way. And actually, if you receive an email from the Canada Revenue Agency, it will be said, we, you have a message in your My Account. So the message, there will be no click. If, if it's really the government, there is no, you know, uh, we will not suggest to click here and there. It will be said, go in my account and go through the security process and then you will see our message. Uh, Unless if you are not, if you do not have the my account uh, active, then you will receive a letter by mail. So yes, please
0: uh, keep repeating, be careful, uh, be be very careful, but the my account is, is quite secure. All right. So that is uh, good for people uh, to make sure that they're filing on time and filing in a way that uh, is, is uh, quick in f- as far as getting, again, uh, their uh, returns if they are getting money back. I, I did want to go back because it is the first time, I think, that a lot of people maybe are filing their taxes. And again, going back to the first home savings account, to the first time homebuyers tax credit, uh, d- d- Are people getting the information they need on that as far as how that changes how they are filing their taxes?
2: Yes, I think it's quite... Because if you want to um, register to the first home saving accounts, well, it, it has to be... It had to be done before the end of the year, before December 31st, and it had to be done through a financial institution. So you will receive the right forms from the institution and, and to connect to your, uh, to your returns. So I'm, I'm confident that this information is, will go through because the financial institutions uh, are, are very well organized. And, and uh, so if you have signed in for that, you will get the right form in, uh, to, to, uh, to benefit from. And it's, it's great because you can save $8,000 a year uh, and it will be free of tax the, not only when you save the amount, but also the day you, um, you take the amount to, to buy your first,
0: first home. So it's really, you know, it's a saving at both hand. Right, which is uh, good news for people that are in that scenario and, and taking part in that program. Uh, a reminder as well we're talking about this today because officially uh, Canadians can start uh, filing their taxes. And uh, good to know that if you owe money to the CRA, that you have until uh, I think that, uh, that, well, April 30th is the, is the deadline. What about the difference, though, if we're talking about people who are self employed?
2: Actually, for people who are self-employed, the date is June 15th. So they have a few, uh, a few more weeks uh, to file. So once again, if uh, I would say if you wait till the end of the month, at least you'll be sure that you have received, uh, you know, you have to, to, um, uh, if you want to contribute to the RR, RRSP, <laughs> it's before the end of February. Uh, your employer must give you your T4, the landlord uh, or you know, if you have given to uh, charities, so all these papers should come to you or all these receipts uh, should be received by the end of February and then you have till the end of April to, to file
0: It is a good reminder and timely advice as we now are officially in tax season. Minister Marie-Claude Bibaud, thank you so much for your uh, coming on the show, for reminding people uh, and joining us today Thank you very much
3: Ladies and gentlemen, honored by their country, decorated by their
2: queen, and loved here in America, here are the Beatles.
0: My guess is most people recognize those songs. Yes, the Beatles. And there is a reason why we are playing some Beatles music and talking about the Beatles today. So let's bring in Eric Alper, music publicist and commentator. Eric, great to have you back on the show.
3: Thank you so much. It feels like only three hours ago that we might have been talking about the Beatles. But that's what happens when you're the greatest fan in the world and people still want to know the story.
0: Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because when I first saw this story, and we're going to talk about the Fab Four of biopics, my first response was, don't we already, if you're a big Beatles fan, don't you already know almost if not everything there is to know? Um, it, it, it,
3: I'll answer it for my wife. And she said, absolutely. Like, shut up already, Eric. Um, you you don't need to tell me more about Ringo Starr and how he got his name. But what's interesting about this news that Sir Sam Mendez is going to be making four separate films about the Beatles, one member is going to have their own, um, their own episode in this miniseries that is due to come out sometime next year, is that the only people who know what really went on was George, John, um, Paul, and Ringo. And that's it. And so everything else is kind of pure speculation, hearsay. It's like the Bible. You kind of know, but then you really don't know. And this is the greatest story that in, in music history and the greatest story that pop music will ever tell. Um, and I think it's fascinating to know that I can kind of make a case for that the Beatles might just be more popular in 2024 than they were 60 years ago when they played on the Ed Sullivan show.
0: (laughs) Only because we have to gauge for population, don't we? And there's more people here now. and, (laughs) And that the music is all in front of us
3: forever, or at least until somebody buys up YouTube and shuts it down. But, you know, the fact that that music is so readily available, it's like water, where All the songs are are on streaming services. They're All the videos are up on YouTube. The documentaries are all there. Before, you would actually have to hear the music or think about it, go down to the record store, hope that they haven't sold out of it, and then buy it, bring it home, and play it. Now you can share it. You can view it as many times as you want. So the fact that they're still... Um, they're still commanding this much attention. Um, and keep in mind, like, this is a band that essentially lasted six years. I mean, they went from She Loves You, yeah, 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 to the breakup from 1964 to 70. And so here we are, you know, all these years later, just um, kind of salivating over what they were able to do in such a short period of time.
0: Yeah, it it is uh, I think we do tend to forget what a short amount of time that band was together when we think about just the the greatness and and whether you like the music or not what just what they were able to to achieve and accomplish. Uh, you mentioned so Sam Mendes is going to be directing this. I think he'd put a statement out to saying I'm honored to be telling the story of the greatest rock band of all time, uh, excited to challenge the notion of what constitutes a trip to the movies. And that's, I think, where there are some questions as well. So each film, like you said, will be from the perspective of a Beatle. But do we think, are they going to be in the theaters at the same time? Will they intersect, telling the same stories? Do we know any of those details?
3: Yeah, I think Ringo Starr is going to be greeting everybody in every theater through AI. Who knows? That's the amazing thing about this. Is like you know, just when you think that you figured it out, just when you think that you understand what the Beatles and the machine behind them creatively can do, they're going to blow your mind in something completely different. Because this is a band that has always loved technology. You know, they were one of the first bands to you know backwards. Um, you know, put their guitar through the the tape and kind of tape it backwards so that we're actually listening to something forward. This is a band that went from four tracks in the recording studio to like 128. Um, this is a band that was also blowing us away when CDs came out, and just when we think that we heard everything, here they are on cd and then they here they are on on the high res and youtube and now with the use of artificial intelligence they were able to release their quote their final song now and then last year that hit number one all over the world so this is kind of coy what he's saying because it could be something that we've really never seen before it could be something that is um maybe from their personal very much perspective but who knows i mean i i would be an idiot to try to guess what it is only because i know i'm going to be wrong (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but but that's the the challenge too, isn't it? There's so much footage out there because they were also into films. When you look back at the '60s and '70s, uh, things like Hard yeah. Days Night, Yellow Submarine. I think there there was a, bio, a biopic when when John Lennon was still alive. I mean, th- yeah. there have just been so many films made about this group,
3: and so many, so much video that. Up until last year, most of the general public deemed it not really usable. What we saw in the Let It Be Get Back documentary was when Peter Jackson, the director, who also worked on Lord of the Rings, among um, many other films, when he used AI technology to be able to separate all of the noises and voices that were heard on tape during those sessions to you and I, it just sounds muddled. It sounds like here, John and Paul whispering in the back corner of the room with one microphone clear across the room and nobody can even pick up what they said. But Peter Jackson was able to do technology and strip everything down into the really important stuff. So all this footage that might have been around while people were filming for the most photographed and most famous people on the planet, um, There might be footage now that we've never seen before that might have been deemed, you know, this is garbage, this won't work. Um, So who knows? It could be colorized now in ways that we've really never seen before.
0: And are films like this, and again, we don't know exactly, like you said, what Sam Mendes is going to do with these films and, and what they're going to look like, what the end product will look like. But are, are films like this becoming more and more popular In, in when we look at Elvis, um, uh, Rocketman, one of them, that, yeah. that it seems like there has been more of these types of films? You know, you and I have talked in
3: the past about the reason why artists like Bob Dylan or Neil Young or the Eagles or... Springsteen had sold their catalog to third-party companies, uh, mostly venture capitalists and banks, um, meaning that those companies now own the right to exploit those songs. They can put them in TV shows and commercials and movies or on Broadway and not get permission anymore from that artist. They've given up their right for one giant check. Those companies are going to want their money back and fast. And the one thing that Um, the last couple of years have shown since COVID is that we're all fairly interested in watching music on television. There's a great documentary now on Netflix about um, the making of We Are the World called The Greatest Night in Pop. Um, Nobody's seen that footage. And it's brilliant of watching Bob Dylan and Springsteen and Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson. So the fact that music is kind of transcended just listening. Now we can watch it. Now we can get involved with it. There's no reason to think that sooner or later, every band worth their popularity is going to have their own, um, their own documentary or docudrama and it's a great way to manipulate the audience into thinking the way that you want them. Meaning that you now get to shape your own destiny in your own film and that's exactly what the Beatles have done too.
0: And do you think they still have the same kind of pull? Yes, they're still iconic and and people, I think, know Beatles music. Do you think that's going to to stick around, or will they eventually fade?
3: Um, Well, I haven't taken a breath since (laughs) since we started this conversation, so I'm going to say I'm super excited. Um, Yeah, you know, there's a case to be made that maybe every century, there's always a handful of people who will forever be remembered? You know, you can talk about the Beethoven's or Brahms or Mozart. And in the 1900s, it could be Chuck Berry and the Beatles. Like, will Bruce Springsteen be remembered 100 years from now? Um, the, You know, it, it's such a hard question. But I, I'm willing to bet my house that the Beatles will probably be our version of classical music 300 years from now. I, I really believe that. I, It's not that I I, I adore them because I do. But I think that there's something about still being on top of everybody's minds all of these years later. Um, but there, is, there has been proof that, according to Google searches in the last number of years, the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and, and all of these classic rock bands have kind of dipped down in terms of searches. But maybe it's because all of this music is in front of us, so we don't have to go looking for it. We know exactly where it is.
0: And uh, Erica, I-, I do want you to take a breath because that is very important. <laughs> but just, just one other question. You mentioned AI and how AI has already played a bit of a role in this. And certainly in other uh, music, uh, there have been other events where AI has been used. Do you think the public, in something like this, where there is so much footage, and granted, not everybody in the band is still alive. Does the public mm. want AI or do they want it to be more of an homage, more that they want the footage, maybe it's footage that hasn't been seen all that much, or a story that really hasn't been told all that much.
3: What's going to be interesting is when you take a, a, a classic band like the Beatles, and let's say that the record label, maybe 20 years down the road or 10 years down the road, maybe after um, Paul and Ringo are no longer here, they start to use AI. Um, creating Beatles-like music but being very upfront with it. I think there's definitely a curiosity factor in that. We've seen, um, you know, producers bed in their bedrooms mix a David Bowie song with Kanye West or um, Drake with The Weeknd, and they rack up hundreds and hundreds of millions of views and streams before taken down by copyright. I think once the record labels start to authorize this and ensure that those artists are getting paid, I'm not so sure that the audience isn't going to like this. I think that there's a real craving for, uh, for being authentic, but I don't think the audience even knows what being authentic is is just yet because we still love science fiction we still love marvel films although that they're all doing this all in a green space and it doesn't seem to harm them so i don't see music really being that far away from from watching you know the latest star wars film and going they're not in space maybe we all just have to have a, a level of enthusiasm more than realness these days
0: All right. Well, let's leave it on that note. And I know there is a lot of excitement about these films and uh, when they will be released. Eric, thank you, as always, for coming on the show.
3: No problem. And you can check out Joe Bennett and Eric Alper's duet with David Bowie (laughs) coming up next.